0: Hey everyone, Hoppo here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get into the studio because of the COVID outbreak, so the quality of these episodes may not be as good as usual. But stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this together. Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat with John Flannery, who is the bowman on the yacht Blackjack. John speaks about his sailing career, the Sydney to Hobart race, and when he was attacked by pirates when transporting a boat from Sydney to England. Then later on, lifeguard Tommy joins me for Beach Banner, and I go to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Now let's have a listen to my chat with John. This week in the uh, Beach Shack, it's uh a... a warm welcome, a, a guy that uh, has got plenty of stories and he's also uh, got uh, a, a lot of history with yachting. Welcome, uh, John Flannery. Flanno, how are you, mate? I'm all right, Hopper. Yourself, mate? Yeah, mate, all good, all good. Uh, mate, uh, I was going to start with, which I didn't know, uh, we're going to talk about your yachting career and, and all that, but you also worked at Channel 10 as Chief of Staff. Just give us some... Bit of a rundown on that one because you were pretty young when that happened.
1: Yeah, well, Hopper. there's a lot of changes in the media in those days and that's a past life. <laughs> um, there was a lot of changes and I sort of worked my way up and got stuck in a seat one day and that was pretty much it. That's how it happened at Channel 10 in those days. It was your last man standing, you had to find a job, so got put in there and then uh, decided <laughs> then that that was for me. So here I am sailing away. <laughs>
0: We uh well, Bondi Rescue has been on the network 10 now for about 16 years, so we've had a, a long run with um Ted. So you know, it's good to hear that uh back in the day. So that would have been way back, what in the 90s, was it that you were with uh 10?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, eight, late 80s, early 90s, and then I went to England, Sailed, sailed, uh, sailed across to England. But you know, there were interesting times in the media then, so but not interesting enough.
0: Tell us a bit about then when you went to um, England you sailed over and and was that the start of what uh, you you realised was going to be a career in yachting?
1: No I don't think so Hopper I was just uh, I had been sailing a lot and I was a bit disillusioned about journalism so I sailed to England after the 94 Hobart which was my first one and uh, you know I wasn't looking for a career in sailing at that stage I was just heading to England and maybe do some journalism over there which I ended up doing a bit of before I left again and uh, decided to take up the sailing. It was a a pretty interesting trip you know we went across the Indian Ocean and then up through around the Horn of Africa where got a bit of a tangle with some pirates there and a bit of a rescue so it was an
0: interesting trip. With the Sydney to Hobart, how was that as an experience, you know, back in 94?
1: Oh, mate, I was on a very little boat, like a little 37-footer on my first one with you know, some mates that we'd trained for a couple of seasons to do the race. So it was interesting to do it on a small boat for my first time and uh, don't think I'm ever going to do it on anything that small again unless it's some sort of rocket ship. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, very, very hard to do it on a smaller boat. And I'm lucky enough now that you know I get to do it on the big
0: boats, mate. The um, how long did it take you with that first that first year?
1: Oh, uh, that, what I mean four and a half days or something. I, we're in by New Year's Eve. I know that,
0: <laughs> mate. So then you went up to the uh, the the bigger class of boat and tell us a bit. You were there with um, I think '98, which is one of the worst uh, city to Hobarts. There's a couple of deaths I think in that year and. We, what boat were you on for, for that one?
1: Mate, I was on a big boat called uh, Nokia. Um, pretty solid boat, you know. It'd been a, it was a Whitbread, around the world boat. So she was pretty solid. It was old, and uh, the campaign was, uh, you know, had some funding, but where the funding went, did it go to the right spots? Um, <laughs> so it was a hard one. And uh, that was a terrible race, you know. I think, you know, there were, yes, as you said, several deaths and I knew a lot of the blokes that actually did perish. Um, it was a pretty windy race, a bit wet, and, you know, just just hard, you know.
0: Is it something you knew that was going to happen, though? Did you know that uh, the conditions, obviously you're going to encounter some bad conditions, but did anyone expect it to be as bad as what it ended up?
1: No, it's certainly not. Hoppo, they wouldn't have let us go. I, well, I don't, these days they certainly wouldn't have. But back then forecasting, you're talking, you know, quarter of a century ago, forecasting wasn't yeah. as good as it is now. Like we rely we rely on every ten minutes, we're looking at it all the time, doing it now, but then it just wasn't there and you know, two East Coast lows joined joined together to form a bomb. And you know no, so it's it's not something you can predict. You could now, with a little more assurance, but in those days, they just couldn't, and out we went. You know, it wasn't the first storm the Hobart had ever had, or the worst. Well, you know, they, they say the 93 race was worse. I know races in the 50s where the whole fleet disappeared in in, uh, in uh, storms, and then they found them again, you know. Two days later, I know my grandfather was missing two days, and then they found him in the Derwent leading the race. What do you know? <laughs>
0: So, mate, you were on the bigger uh, yachts in that one, so I suppose you're glad that that wasn't your first one on one of the small yachts. And, and as you said, uh, you, you, plenty of friends there that perished. And you know, how did that hit the the sailing community?
1: Well, mate, it was, you know, anything like that. I think it's in any sport, you know, if you if there's a death in the sport. And we are taking risks. Well, like big wave surfing, race, motor car racing, whatever. We all know what our risks are, but you don't, expect it to come so I think there was a lot of uh, soul searching after that and there's a lot of finger pointing but there's not much point because we're all doing it of our own volition so you can't blame anyone else for being out there
0: yeah and as you said does that change the rules at all did anything change after that you know the 98 tragedies and as you said now the yeah, technology is, is a lot better and I suppose the boats are getting better as well to, to handle conditions?
1: Well, the boats are getting better, yeah, but they still can break. Um, I think, you know, what, as I said, with the weather, we know so much more about it now and we can get updates that, and the clubs, given those things in the past, they won't run what races they know are going to be particularly dangerous. They will delay us these days, although they probably say they wouldn't. I think they have to because the coroners, you know, you're not allowed to do it. And there's been so many good things came out of it. You know, we, the, the study we do now, the practice, the the uh, courses we have to do, uh, sea safety survival, it's a lot of learning and, you know, we know the safety, the, 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 the way we have to go through our safety drills and everything are just uh, nowadays second to none, really.
0: Yeah. Uh, so have you ever come to Nokia, I think, did that win a race at all? Did, have you won a, a City to Hobart?
1: Oh, yeah, not on Nokia. <laughs> uh, we were the big boat. They won and set the record the next year. Um, I'm lucky enough to have won on four, four different boats, but with uh, two of them with the same basic crew and one early one and one with what is now our opposition. But, you know, that's our gut.
0: <laughs> so what boat currently are you, are you on now?
1: Well, mate, up until now, I've been on a uh, boat called Blackjack, uh, owned by a Queensland businessman. Uh, It's it's ex-Alfa Romeo, so it's won a Hobart uh, before as Alfa Romeo, built for Neville Crichton. And it's the sister ship to Wild Oats. But uh, earlier this year, we were doing a race and we dropped the rig out of it. So it's been out of action for several months and we've got a new rig coming, hopefully, for this year's Hobart.
0: So you're looking to do a the Hobart this year?
1: Yeah, I'm looking to do my last one, Hopper.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's uh, getting looking to getting ready to retire. You might have to go out with a win on. Uh, you'll be on blackjack, will it?
1: Yeah. No, I wish I could afford to retire, mate. I I think I just want to retire from the Hobart first.
0: <laughs> mate, it's a terrible race. <laughs> mate, uh, well, talking about blackjack, we're gonna. Uh, I don't know how you took this bloke on, but mate, he's the, the mad Italian. He, he talks about blackjack all the time, but the problem is he, he, with his Italian. He works with us as a lifeguard down the beach, Mario, and uh, he talks about blackjack. But he always says blacker jack, blacker jack. He can't get blackjack out. And um, how's he go? How's he go on the boat,
1: mate? He loves it. He froths for it. He's <laughs> it's like his big wave charging all the time, but there's nothing actually <laughs> happening. <laughs> He's uh, he calls himself a trimmer, and I was like, "So Mario, what do you do when you're trimming?" And he goes, "I oh, look at the girl." I'm oh, well, like, mate, "Mate, it doesn't work like that."
0: <laughs> yeah, Mario was telling me that up the coast you you were bringing the boat back. I think you were on the boat, and it was pretty um, yeah, big swirl. It got a bit heavier, and, and, and uh, you had to go down to Newcastle. And do you remember the boat sort of went a bit sideways? And Mario said he he nearly actually came off and fell off the whole boat.
1: Oh, he got a bit, yeah, he got bounced down the boat a bit. I think they broke a couple of staunches as we buried it into a big greeny. Um, we were going extremely quickly, 25 knots or so. And it was, you know, we just couldn't slow down and we're coming into Newcastle. And there comes Mario down the side of the deck. And oh, I mate, hold on, Muzz, you're, you're not, this is not a swimming race, mate. <laughs>
0: Well, I think the first time he went up he, he he uh you guys got him on the drink, I think, and I think he was hung over for one of the uh one of the legs and uh he was pretty crooked the whole way back.
1: Oh he, I don't know about the whole way back, but he was certainly crooked that next morning. I uh it's not good to go under my wing the night before you go sailing, I don't think. It doesn't really affect me, but Mario wasn't that flash. He came good in the end, mate, he loves it, you know, he's he's always super keen, you know, Mario, he's Oh, he's a good bloke. Yeah. Legend.
0: Oh, mate, he's a great bloke. He's passionate about everything he does. I mean, down there as a lifeguard, he runs around, you know, I can imagine the exact same on, on the boat and, yeah, he'd be a great asset to have.
1: Oh, mate, he's a great asset on board. And I think on any team, you know, when you get a bloke like that, he's uh, he just brings that level up and everyone's happy, you know. The blokes love him coming, so he's always booked on blackjack for deliveries and and I never want, yeah. never want a yeah. ride
0: anywhere. Yeah. So, do you think on that, with uh, having a good crew to win a race, is it something where you need the right connections with the personalities? And you know, everyone obviously has to be skilled at what they do in sailing. But does the personality have a big part to play in the crew?
1: Oh yeah, of course, what well, Because you know, you got on our boat up to eighteen people, 16, 18 people. And you don't have to get on with them all the time on land, but when you're out there, you've got blokes, it, it, you are risking things and you've got to have really good blokes backing you up. And the, 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 you know, teams that come together, you know, you're always going to be better than a... We can race a boat anyway, but it's about the team pushing the boat the whole time and everyone being connected, you know. It's it's quite important.
0: So how did you learn your sailing? Was that from your um, from your grandfather is that something that... Uh got you into the sailing?
1: Yeah, it sort of was, Hoppo. Uh, my grandfather was a sailor and I didn't really know him, but as it happened, he did the early Hobarts, you know, the 46, 47. I might not have done 46, but also raced his own boat. But then one of the juniors on one of the boats he sailed with, I ended up sailing with his son as my first skipper. So it sort of came through the family and I raced from the sort of the age of about seven gave it up for a few years when I did surf club and went to boarding school and whatever and then came back and then decided, you know, in the end, it's what I end up doing, you know, it's a bit of a life, bit of a laugh.
0: What about uh, the best boat? Is there is there a boat that stands out that uh, you can reflect back on and go, geez, that was a, probably one of the best ones I've ever you know, been a part of?
1: Well mate, I'm I'm pretty lucky, you know, the the boats I've competed on in the last 10 years or so have all been top of the line. You know, these are Formula One. Uh, The owners understand that and, you know, they spend big money. So, you know, I think that my favourite boat is any boat I win on. So, (laughs) And I've had a couple. the, the, The Blackjack program stands out as in recent because the owner, Peter Harburg, he just, mate, he puts everything into it and lets us go and, The boats are pulled apart, put back together, pulled apart, put back together. Every time we go out, there's something done. We're always learning. So, you know, I think, you know, Blackjack program is a definite standout. The Loyal program was fantastic for what we did with that one. Um, And Wild Arts, you know, another fantastic, you know, still it's the most successful boat in Hobart history. So, you know, I'm pretty lucky there.
0: But I was lucky one time uh, when the, the sail GP was out here, They the Australian team, I got to get a to, go to sit in there and uh, and uh, have a go on that one. And, geez, it's amazing how quick they go and, and just spin on a dime. It's amazing, the technology behind those boats.
1: Oh, mate, it is amazing. And they're, they're the little boats, little inshore boats, and they're now starting to do that offshore, you know. They're foiling offshore in those monohulls around the world, and it's, you know... And they're doing it alone. <laughs> it's like there's, there's blokes down in the Southern Ocean doing yeah. 28 knots, 30 knots alone and just, mate, it's just phenomenal what they can do now. And I guess that's the future. And, you know, even if I said i retire from the Hobart, I always said I'd do it if the boats were flying and maybe they'll fly.
0: <laughs> mate, with the Hobart, how hard is it for, say, a bloke like me to get involved and to, to do it? You know, you, they take people on board at, at some of the boats and, you know, what sort of level of training and, and skill do you need to be able to go? Because I notice a lot of celebrities have done it over the
1: years. Yeah, a lot of celebrities have done it, and that was part of our Loyal program. You know, that was a, a big fundraiser for uh, the Loyal Foundation and the hospitals and children's, you know, uh, children's hospitals. So for the average person, it's, it's not that hard to do it, but it's commitment. You know, teams following that 98 Hobart, uh, there's a lot of uh, rules about how often you sail, sailed how much you've sailed the teams have to be prepared the boat has to be prepared so you've got to put in that commitment week in and week out because people don't want to sail with people they don't know you know you can't just walk up these days people used yeah. to come in from overseas and jump on a boat but these days you've got to be committed to a team and sail every week for you know the better part of the year for people to want to yeah. take you
0: yeah Mate, there's an interesting story. You, you touched on it earlier in this conversation, but uh, I'd like to go from the beginning of it and then to the end because I think a lot of listeners would be uh, intrigued uh, when you mentioned about the pirates, the, the sailing, and the pirates came in because that's a uh, you know most of us only hear that on the on the uh, movies, mate. The pirates, you know. So can you give us a, a an insight into how that happened?
1: Well, mate, as I said, um, we were sailing to England and had to go around the Horn of Africa on the way, you know, so, uh, up, so you get up through the Red Sea there. And there was an island that, you know, in those days, piracy wasn't spoken about as much, but we knew they were there. So it was just after the Somalian Civil War, actually. So, so uh, Yeah, well, the Civil War. And uh, we were going around the, the Horn of Africa there, and there's an island called Socotra, which was a known sort of pirate haven because... Basically, they're just fishermen, mate. They're poor blokes that have got nothing, and they're just out there trying to get back anything they can from the world, so they've got to feed their families. Anyway, early one morning, we decided to go in closer because we had to save fuel and time to get to England for the first event we were doing, and, uh, you know, I came up. Well, I actually went off watch just at dawn, you know, beautiful day. It was, the sea was like glass, no wind, which doesn't help a sailing boat much, and, Next thing I'm, you know, they call us back on decks. And, you know, everyone, all hands, all hands. I'm like, what's going on? And I come out of the companionway and standing up and everyone's going, get down, get down. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're, bang. I'm like, shit. Was, sorry about the like, light. Hit the deck. And I'm like, what was that? And they're like, we don't know. I'm, bang, another explosion. And we had no idea where this was coming from. And all we knew was getting fought, we were getting shot at. And we didn't know who. And then we could see a little boat on the horizon. It was just like, you could Just make it out on the horizon, but we had got the big eyes on it, the binoculars, and had a bit of a look. And every time we could just see it sort of turn side on. And then you'd hear the pop, and often then you'd hear a screaming coming in and then bang around the boat. So we figured they were firing mortars at us. And I was like, Jesus. And then they came on the radio. And uh, in those days, they just read out in four languages stop or we shoot. So they'd say stop, we shoot in English, in German. Uh, in Spanish and in French, I believe. And they may have used Arabic, but I couldn't tell at the time. (laughs) I was, you know, trying to clean my pants. Uh, And anyway, so we stopped for a while, slowed down, and uh, we had a woman on board and a bit of cash, and, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do if these blokes got alongside. And so we had the uh, chef, she was a woman, and we had to hide her in a watertight bulkhead just in case they got on board. And uh, so we slowed down, and sure enough, these boats came. But as they came, a Canadian frigate that was in the area answered the Mayday call as well. And anyway, we're sitting there going, oh, what to do, what to do? And these blokes on a 50-foot wooden fishing dhow is what the type of boat it is, had a brightly painted floral cat wheelhouse. And the blokes, you know, they look all ragtag, but there was one guy in a suit. I was like, a, mate, I can remember it to the day, a, white, a light blue and white houndstooth check that it looked like it came out of a St Vincent's de Paul bin, but he was, he was the boss. He's pulled out the 45 and started waving it at us and it was like, oh, just hold on, hold on, hold on, and they're going to stop or we're going to shoot. And went, just hold, hold, hold. And just at that moment, they saw the Canadian Navy come over the horizon and they just backed off because they can't be seen to be doing anything. And we just you know we just hit the hit the accelerator, took off um, and uh, got to that frigate and uh, they just stayed with us through the night mate, gave us a feed, and uh, there you go there we were, except I've stuffed up the story because I forgot <laughs> we're actually rescued by a container ship and then the frigate there
0: you go right oh mate it's uh amazing story I mean, did you think ever you're going to um you weren't going to survive it?
1: Yeah, mate, I had no idea. Just, it's like morning in the are halfway across the globe. And, uh, yeah, when they were dropping bombs on us, it was, you know, terrifying. We, the last one, we, we were looking at them, and I looked up with the big <laughs> eyes, and I said, they're turning again. And, bang, she exploded straight behind the boat. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, mate, terrifying, terrifying.
0: Oh, it would have been. It would have been something that's... Uh, you know, we only see this on the movie. You've uh, actually been there and uh, seen it firsthand, so mate, not, somewhere not
1: somewhere I want to go again.
0: <laughs> so you won't be sailing through that area again?
1: No, mate, not at all. Fly over the
0: top of it. Because <laughs> there are pirates. I mean, the pirates are still around, aren't they?
1: Yeah, mate. Just, mate, the pirates just a bloke that hasn't got anything, you know. They just take their chances. You're at sea, they're at sea. So long as they're not seen to be doing anything. The police can't actually, you know, the, yeah. the, the forces can't do anything because it's marine law.
0: So, mate, you've uh, pretty much sailed and uh, all around the world, and it must be—you uh, must sit back and think, geez, I'm, I'm pretty lucky here that I've been able to have a career and, and, and also see the, the whole world and pretty much by ocean.
1: Mate, yeah, it was in the old days I used to go by ocean. Now, I do, now I do a bit more flying here and there, but. Uh, It is a career, mate, you know, it didn't used to be, but as, you know, professionalism has come into sport more and more, there is, uh, you know, certainly careers in it for people and I've been very lucky, you know, um, the places I've seen, the people I've been with, you know, even now just racing around with Olympic gold medalists and world champions and, mate, I'm very lucky, so it's very interesting how I got here.
0: Oh, mate, it'd be, just be really, really good. And something that, uh, you know, I, I don't know a lot about sailing and it's, it's you know, interests me. Uh, I do a lot of uh, ocean paddling, you know, so I'm always out in the ocean, but uh, watch the the boats come past. And I remember the city of Hobart years ago, which they, uh, don't let you do it now, but you'd be able to wash ride the back of the boats and go back past, from the heads back past Bondi and, it's amazing how quick they go and how quick they tack. Like, it's amazing, the, the, the speed and the precision.
1: Yeah, it's getting, it's getting just quicker and quicker, as you say, Hopper. You know, you're going around on those flying boats. And mate, I can guarantee at the start of the Sydney Hobart, there's still those people chasing you up and down the coast. They're quite dangerous. But the boats, you know, technology has, has driven that, and that's why they can fly now. You know, carbon fibre, the boats weigh nothing. And they're all power, so, you know, we could probably do a Hobart in one day, given the right conditions, because they've already done that distance, more than that distance in a day, so hopefully we'll do that one day.
0: Right, well, that might be the time I do it when it's only a day. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's the ideal time to do it, mate, and do it once. Cut it then.
0: (laughs) Yeah, once. I don't think i would ever do it twice, mate. I'll be lucky to do it once, uh, let alone twice, but... Yeah, mate. I don't know about being out to sea that long, but yeah. But it's, be, you know, everyone's always up for challenges, and it's great to get into uh, your career and and what you've done. And it's something that uh, I think a lot of people listening that you know may get people out sailing is it something that the young kids seem to be coming through now. It's not sort of dying off. It's it's something that uh, the kids uh, are getting involved.
1: Oh yeah, they're certainly getting involved now, mate. Because. You know they're calling them the foiling generation. You know, so the faster the boats go, the more exciting it becomes, and kids are into that. And then you get very good at it, and that's where it keeps going from. If I don't know if you looked at that last America's Cup in those big foiling monohulls, seventy-five footers, um mate, they're doing three times the speed of the wind. Then kids love that. You know, if you're sailing, you know, it can seem boring if you if you don't know what's going on. When you're going fast, nothing's boring. You haven't got time to be bored. So kids are really frothing about it now. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Definitely. I remember uh, a mate of mine that I raced for years in the ocean. Kai Hurst, and he was on uh, a couple of the uh, America's Cups uh, boats and that. So yeah, it, it, it's a. He was saying how crazy and how uh, exciting it is. It's just a massive adrenaline rush.
1: Yeah, I, I actually uh, sailed with Kai. Actually, he was my roommate up in Hamilton Island a couple of years ago on a TP52, which is a smaller boat, but still quick. And we need the power of guys like Kai on the handle, so, you know, he's a great bloke. Always fun to sail with. Good roommate, plenty of good fun.
0: Oh mate, he would have been a good roommate, mate. I know he uh, he loves a a good time and loves a beer, so I'm pretty sure you would have had a good time uh, in the boat and also on land.
1: Mate, we try to do that all the time, though. Eh?
0: <laughs> we'll be able to get uh, my little Italian mate there, Mario. We'll, we'll stitch him up, I think, one day.
1: Mate, not going to be hard. We'll just take him out and hang him up the rig. And I think he actually went up a rig the first time the other day and he's, he was pretty stoked about that. I don't know. <laughs> he was in the harbour and it was actually I think he was on the dock so it wasn't too much trouble for him, but he still didn't like it that much. We we'll just sent him up. <laughs>
0: All right, Flato, mate, it's been um, great to have you in the Beach Shack, mate, and uh, telling your story. And mate, we'll have to catch up soon for a beer and uh, and talk some more stories.
1: Yeah, love that, Hoppo. Be good to catch up for a beer, mate, sometime. And good luck to everyone out there and enjoy.
0: Thanks, John, for coming into the Beach Shack. Next up, Beach banner. Welcome, Tommy, into the beach shack. How are you, mate?
2: Good, Hop. How are you going, mate?
0: Yeah, mate, I'm well. Uh, I was just uh, trying to remember, you know, some of the best moments that uh, I'd done at the beach and uh, I thought, well, I might ask you that question. Have you got a best moment being a lifeguard down there at Bondi?
2: Yeah, yeah. I had a moment where I was on the jet ski. You, You were working. It was Christmas Day 2016. I'd only been on the beach for about six months. And um, it was one of those real busy Christmas days. I think it was about 32, 33 degrees, absolutely packed. And um, you and Beardy had the confidence in the sending me as a young bloke out in the jet ski on the busiest day. And I think I was out there for about four to five hours, no break, just stayed out there just plucking people. And I remember having that moment where I thought, fuck, I've made it. This is, yeah. this is epic.
0: So how many rescues did uh, you do? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, I remember it just pick, just picking people up and just whipping. Oh, there was two or three really, really close ones where you wouldn't have wanted to have left it another another five or ten seconds. But that they were the real close. If if I wasn't there at that moment, that could have been lights out for them. But then the just the the toe toe back ends where people need that extra help to get back to shore. I would have done north of. 50 in the arvo
0: yeah that's pretty crazy isn't it but uh we do do a lot of rescues in the afternoons in summer but do you think you took a lot of coffins away from that moment
2: yeah yeah that the end of that day i walked away going i've i can step in the ring with these boys and i've got what it takes to function as a lifeguard in one of the world's busiest beaches
0: yeah man you came uh from up the uh central coast and you know with a little bit of experience as a lifeguard but then came down and you learned a hell of a lot and ended up a very good lifeguard before you finished up.
2: Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, I um, had a bit of experience behind me coming in, but it's you can have plenty of experience in reserve grade. And once you get up to the big leagues, it's a whole different world. And, um, yeah, I was able to take a lot out from a lot of the guys, especially yourself. Um, Beardy, Beardy helped me a lot, and I still live by a lot of Chapo's mentalities of close calls, but they didn't happen. So, as long as you uh, keep everyone alive, don't dwell too much on near misses. Yeah, that's right.
0: The near miss is always going to happen. It's just a matter of uh, making sure that it doesn't go that next level and uh, end up losing someone. So yeah, no mate, it was uh, you know great times down there, and uh, that day I remember very very well. And you you performed extremely well in in tough conditions. Four hours on a jet ski can be pretty tough.
2: Yeah, was, um, I don't know if it was. I still, I'm probably a bit of confidence you saying that now because I was, I'm still not sure whether it was four hours in the jet ski because I was going really well or because I was talking too much. So you guys thought, put him out in the ski, you can't talk to us.
0: It's <laughs> was probably, yeah, put you out there, mate, so we, we don't have to worry about you for four hours.
2: <laughs> yeah, a, bit of, a bit of peace and quiet and we don't have to babysit.
0: <laughs> well, we killed two birds in one stone there, didn't we? we? You got the confidence of being there for four <laughs> hours and we got rid of you for four hours. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Tommy, thanks, mate, for uh, stopping in. Uh, it was great having a chat.
2: Too good. Thanks, Toppo. Take it easy, mate.
0: It's always great to have Tommy in the Beach Shack. So now let's go to the mailbag. This one is from Joel. What is your favourite music that you listen to? Well, pretty much, I mainly listen to uh, music from the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, you know, predominantly the the rock, uh, like bands like U2, In Excess, Rolling Stones, uh, Elton John, uh, Pink Floyd, so a lot of older sort of bands have been around a long, long time. Um, that's sort of the music I grew up with, so that's what I, I enjoy. I still enjoy some of the modern music now that's out and about, so I do listen to that sometimes, but uh, predominantly it's all uh, that rock music back in the the 80s and 90s. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.